Hey everyone, Matt Wakeling here. You are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today we start a new sub-series called Iconic Albums, where I'm joined by my friends Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica to talk about some of the most influential guitar records of all time. Well, at least the ones we think deserve that title. To kick us off, today's iconic album is Joe Satriani's Surfing with the Alien. That's coming up real soon. This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the Music Gear Marketplace Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The Pedal Movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Mascus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player. Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free seven-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, Rob and Gabor, welcome to Iconic Albums number one. So good to have you guys. Great to be here. Fantastic to be here. This is super exciting. So uh, here's the story. We've uh, each selected a couple of albums. Each episode, we're going to go through one of the albums, have a chat, talk about its impact, our favorite tunes, pretty much anything about the record that's kind of interesting on a guitar and and musical level. So we're going to jump in. Surfing with the Alien. That's the first album. I chose this one. Uh, It was released in 1987. It was Satriani's second album on the Relativity label it was his really his third release he had a an independent release called joe satriani um which ironically was another album many years later but anyway his very first album it was more of a demo and he pulled that from uh from pressing pretty quickly so uh surfing his second release label album and just exploded in the late 1980s now i was about 16 when it came out um just before recording, we've established that I'm a few years older than Rob and Gabor, um, although you wouldn't tell from our record <laughs> collections, as we'll find out over these next few weeks. Um, but any, any reactions? When did you guys first hear this record? Um, oh, I'll go first, I guess. Um, yep. I, I think I came across Satriani first through wide world of sports videos, like surfing things on Sunday afternoons. And um, I kind of turned my head. I wasn't really into surfing, but I'd sort of, I hadn't even started playing guitar then, but these, these songs sort of grabbed me 
uh, Satch Boogie especially. And um, yeah, and then MTV came along and they would play Always With Me, Always With You. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, I guess I started playing guitar in 1990. So like Satriani was everywhere then. So you couldn't help but be exposed to it. Yeah, awesome. How about you, Gabor? It was pretty much the same. So I started playing in 93, roughly, I think I started playing guitar. And it was, yeah, the same. I remember the Always With Me, Always With You clip on MTV. I remember hearing that, not knowing what it was, but remember hearing it. And then uh, in high school, when I first started playing guitar, everyone else who was playing guitar, everyone, Satch Boogie, everyone wanted to uh-huh, learn how to play uh-huh. Satch Boogie. And you couldn't help but when you're part of that whole guitar, you know, group at school you couldn't help but having to play it as well so kind of learning it and trying to learn it and going whoa you know and then oh man and he was kirk hammett's guitar teacher man and all yeah. the you know all those sort of stories that yep. all came out so that, that that's my first memory of that yeah awesome man for me it was it was a couple of things i think i saw uh a picture in guitar player magazine it was a relativity records ad i think trying to um promote the album um and the first time I heard it was on Wide World of Sports as well, same as Rob. And um, okay. yeah, it was uh, Wide World of Sports. They'd have like play of the day or whatever, some montage of some sport, and it would just have shredding, <laughs> shredding stuff. It was awesome. It was awesome. Also, um, Stevie Ray Vaughan's Scuttle Button was a big Wide World yeah. of Sports riff. Um, killer. So anyway, I, I, I heard the name, and then I heard Surfing on Wide World of Sports. And I thought, I wonder if it's that Satriani guy or or Satri. I didn't even know how to pronounce the name there, but um, I, I, th- I guessed it was him, and and I was correct. And yeah, MTV, great timing for MTV because MTV in yeah. Australia launched. I don't know about eighty five or eighty six. Um, I'm roughly remembering. Um, and yeah, to have instrumental guitar on MTV, um, and on commercial radio was unbelievable and not just yeah. not just the shadows as, as beautiful as all that stuff is but re- yeah really contemporary in your face unbelievable guitar playing pulling tricks i'd never heard of before yeah well, it was sort of the precursor to yeah. um you know satriani became very popular on the radio and and as you said mtv uh richard wilkins used to host the late night like friday and saturday night um but it opened the door for I think maybe even Triple M might have been before because Dr. Dan theme, which Dieter Kleeman recorded, that was huge mm. at the time as well. And then all of a sudden oh, it yeah, pushed Tommy absolutely. Emmanuel in this country as well to the fore. And he was all over, yeah. hey, hey, it's Saturday playing his solo guitar. So definitely wasn't just an American thing or a guitar thing. It really became, um, it just sort of entered into society. It was everywhere. It was a really acceptable kind of music. Yeah. I mean, I lived in Europe at the time, so I was, I, I didn't move to Australia till 93. Uh-huh. So uh, that was MTV in Europe. MTV, I, I, I remember uh, we had the like English MTV branch channels. Sort okay. of thing. That's what yep. we got uh, in Austria. And it was all over that. And same, same, you know, there was a lot of instrumental music sort of started coming onto you know tv shows and stuff like that which you never heard before so yeah it made a big impact i think yeah were there any guitar tricks off those uh off that record that sparked your interest and you attempted some of this stuff 
Uh, I think I think uh, pick squeals and pinch harmonics. I think that was the thing that I got most out of that kind of stuff I, from uh-huh. memory. I don't remember that. To, to tell you the truth, uh, the early nineties are a little bit of a blur. <laughs> sure, <laughs> uh, but um, I think I remember trying to work out how he did those. Um, at the time, I had a, 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 a Samic, like a super strat style guitar with a Floyd Rose and yep. um, HSS. And I remember trying to work out how to do the pick squeal and then the dive bomb with the pick squeal. And I think yeah. that came from, I mean, that's all over that album. So yes, yeah. Uh, uh, I think that was the, one of the things I really tried to learn and and sort of learned, I guess, in the end. I'm still not really all that good at it, but I sort of learned from that. Yeah, yeah, unreal. How about you, Rob? I think I was mostly in the Van Halen camp. So I was doing more his style of the pinch harmonic and like a lot of the dives okay. and Satch was doing a lot of the, you know, pulling up on the trem. Um, but I think it was probably the delay, his use of the delay within the dive bomb, which is a little bit different from what Eddie used to do. Uh, that was sort yeah. of a, that was a big thing. And I think his, his influence um, as far as gear went was pretty big too. You know, like the Damasio pickups were just sort of everywhere all of a sudden. He was the flying the flag for... For those guys and Ibanez, it really, because because this was '87, I hadn't really played guitar yet. So for me, it, I even though hearing it at that time, it wasn't until flying in a blue dream that you know I was playing in a band and we're doing Big Bad Moon because that was an easy one to do, you know. Oh, awesome. And I think yeah, I still yeah. play I the I Big Bad too. Moon solo whenever I do Roadhouse Blues. So oh, perfect. <laughs> Bless you. Yeah, it's weird, but um, yeah. Uh, definitely it was there, but uh, much, much sort of later on. Sure. One one trick I, I picked up because it was easy um, was that thing where you're tapping but you're using the edge of your pick and you're bouncing it off oh, the yeah. strings really fast. True, true, Guilty. true. Yeah. I still bust that out. I still yeah. do that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, true. Yeah, that would have come from, yeah, same here, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but yeah. <laughs> H- hardcore musicians like Mike Dolce, um, I'm pretty sure he, he told me that he really got into Legato because of that album um, and he learned every song on it. Yeah, I've had a few people tell me that and I tell them, yeah, I, I just get the side of the pick and do that thing. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Legato was a big thing to come out of that whole Satriani thing because hmm. no one was, well, I guess people were doing it, but it wasn't mainstream. It became like the buzzword for a long time. It yeah. did, yeah. I mean, Holdsworth was, was doing it, but much more of an underground level. Yeah. Van Halen, yeah, he wasn't as Van Halen, Van Halen, kind of doing his own version of Legato, like his own version of everything is is very unique. Uh, I think we'll get to a Van Halen album eventually with this uh, with these conversations. No but um, um, looking yeah. looking at the background in Rob's room, I'm sure we will. Yes, Wait, I haven't uh, yeah, done yeah. this for a while. Oh yeah, there we go. There we go. There's a picture of Eddie for you people that can't that don't have the special glasses. To and see there's yeah. and there's the Fender EVH tribute I built as well over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's nice, it. That's it. nice man, awesome. Hey, um, gear as as Rob said, the the gear is super iconic now. Um, some fun facts, Rob. You sent some stuff. I'm going to get you to share about that in a moment. Um, but of course, Satriani's indelibly linked with Ibanez. Fun fact, though, he didn't sign the Ibanez deal until late in the process of surfing. He might have actually finished the album, and that's when he signed the Ibanez deal. Of course, once all the promo pictures come out and the live gigs, he's playing Ibanez all over everything. Those 540, 
the radiuses, um, which was super cool. They were kind of like a hot-rodded roadster, sort of in between the roadster and the RG, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, but on the album, he played uh, a couple of Kramer Paces. Not everyone knows that. And there was a, a Bitzer Strat that he played. And uh, in a Guitar World interview, I read that um, on the Bitzer Strat, he had lots of scratch plates with different pickups because he didn't have lots of guitars because he didn't have much money. And he would drop a new scratch plate in for different different takes. Oh, that was his uh, way around being a broke musician. Rob, did you have anything else on the on the Kramers? Um, no, I think you kind of he had the he had the two paces, but um, he said they were pretty terrible guitars. Um, but yeah, I came across the same thing that you did, where he was in between takes. If he needed a Stratty guitar, he had one with three single coils, and he just quickly wired that in, and then. He needed humbuckers and he did that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think... It's a good idea, really. <laughs> yeah, and he, sa he said um, the first one was an 84 or 82 and he put together from parts that he picked up at uh, Guitar Center. So very much okay. that Eddie Van Halen, Boogie Body, Charvel influence. Yeah. I think by that point, everyone knew that he was doing that and just people went, oh, well, if I... If I can't get one off the shelf that does what I want, then I'll go and put one together that that does. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Was that was that did I did I, re I remember reading something about that? Was there something about the cover and something to do with? Was that because he on the the original cover he was gonna have a different guitar, but then he sung with Ibanez? Was that something like that? Did something like that happen? That he had to change a cover? Oh no, that's just recently. Album? So. Um, with the, with the anniversary okay. release of Surfing with an Alien, it was, um, they couldn't, back then, Marvel was nothing. So he apparently didn't know what the Silver Surfer was, came up with the... Oh, yeah, Marvel, that's what it came, was. Sorry, yeah, came okay, up yeah, with no, the no, idea no. Of, um, of Surfing with the Alien and had this picture of this alien in his mind, not even knowing that it was the Silver Surfer, Marvel Super, Silver Surfer. But they got permission to use it. But then recently, obviously, Marvel's blown up as this huge franchise. Yeah. And it was yeah. just ridiculously expensive for him to be able to get the licensing for that image. So he put the uh -huh. he put the Ibanez on the cover of the latest anniversary release. Oh, yeah. True, true. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember he had to put the Ibanez guitar on there, but I wasn't sure why. That's right. Yeah, so if you've got one of the first covers, it's a limited edition. Like, there's only been about 20 squillion copies sold and you've got <laughs> yeah. one of the originals. I, the last copy of that I bought was at the local music shop in Mwollomba. They had it on CD for $5 and I didn't have it anymore because I had it on cassette. Um, and Awesome. Because we're old yeah. kids, we're old. <laughs> but with, you don't think about it now. You're like, oh, it, can't, it comes out and... Um, it's on Spotify and uh, people might, might know this or not, but the latest release of that anniversary, you've got a second record that has all the guitar removed so you can jam along with the basic no tracks. Way. Yeah. No way. So it's a deluxe edition of, um, of the reissue. Yeah. The anniversary. You can oh, feel inadequate. Can sit there and, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, remixed all that. So that that's pretty cool. That's that awesome. Cool, that's awesome. We're going to take a very short break and we'll be back with more Satriani talk. 
I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear Mark Place Reverb. Now, you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we're super excited on the release of this film. The Pedal Movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix, through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s, and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Voodoo. For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now, I was a beta tester for the course, and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garsett and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program, so check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. All right, welcome back. We are talking Joe Satriani's surfing with the alien. I'm here with Rob Rhodes. Hey, Rob. Hey, how you going, Matt? I'm with Gabor. Hey. Hello. <laughs> I thought I should introduce you guys. I didn't do it at the start, but so people can get a, a uh, an audio to name... Uh, Recognition going, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> there you are. We'll fix was, that. We'll fix that good. in post. Uh... Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no probs. Um, <laughs> now, we, we've been talking guitars. Now, the, the amps and effects were super um, lo-fi, even for the 80s. In fact, for the late 80s, you think such would have a huge rig. But again, this is early on his career, and this album is yet to, to absolutely go nuts. Um, so again, from the Guitar World interview I read, he was running an early 70s Marshall 959 Super Lead, 100-watt head, and uh, a quad box. For effects, a Crybaby Wah, of course. There's Wah all over the record. Sounds amazing. Um, a Chandler Tube Driver was his main drive. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and, uh, and an Eventide H949 for some detuning. And I guess maybe some of the chorusing sounds that we hear, unless they were done in post. Um, in post, yeah. Yeah. Um, any favourite tones on the record, uh, Gabor? Well, I, I, we, I sort of before we started, I, I sort of mentioned to the other guys that I'm going to be the black sheep, uh, the you know the odd one out in this yep. because I, I was never a massive fan of a lot of these albums that uh, Matt and Rob are talking about, so I hadn't actually listened to this album in ages, and the. I kind of thought when I first listened to it, I thought I'm going to write down the one track that st stood out the most to me. And the one track that for whatever stu ever stood out the most to me was If I Could Fly. And my reasoning for that was, and I just sort of wrote down notes, because it sounds very different to all the other tracks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my standout track, If I Could Fly. Uh, and awesome. I, I, I you know, are I like the, the black sheep. the guitar in the intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kid... I think I, I think we've worked out why Gabor is the black sheep. Because um, if I could fly was not on that <laughs> no, album. It's not on that album. Is that not on the album? It's on Spotify on the album, isn't it? Yeah, but if oh, I could fly some... is on. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not going to be able to get it. But um, 
Well, Spotify lied to me then, people. Okay, well, then that, that's why it sounded so different, because it... <laughs> <laughs> it was recorded 20 years later. But still... Oh, was it really? Oh, okay. Whoops. That was, okay. Oh, right. maybe, that was the that song one. he sued Coldplay for. Or yeah, they, yeah. Or they settled really? out of court, and no one said anything yeah. about it, but yeah. So on, on Spotify, it's, I'm sure it played it on that album, unless it just went to some other playlist or something. Yeah, it must have. It's Man, on I'm happy Is There it. Love it's in Space. Song. I think it's on that record. Okay, well, That's then it. I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> um, I always liked, I mean, okay, getting back to the, the album then. Um, I liked a lot of the as cheesy and 80s as they sound, a lot of the synth sounds. Okay, yep. Yep. I actually like almost better than the guitars. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a lot of the intros, like that sort of sitari kind of sound, um, which is yeah. a synthesizer. No, I think say. he used yeah. a, a an electric sitar, the Dan Electro. Did he use it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, that I, that always I like that sound. That's just a. Um, okay. I think when I saw him live at uh, at uh, was it three G G three whatever they called with him and Vi yep. and. Um, John Petrucci at the time that was the concert it was the keyboard player yeah. played it um, so that's why I thought it was maybe keyboard on the record too but uh, that I like that sure. sound I like odd sounds see there you go yeah. I'm the odd one out no, that's again. cool that, like... that track is on the album Gabor it's, it, that's Lords of Karma you're talking about it is on the record <laughs> <laughs> or Lords of Kramer I don't know I, I, maybe alright uh, awesome yeah, man whatever that track was yeah yeah Rob uh, favourite track Oh, look, it's hard for me to go past Satch Boogie because I was such a big ZZ Top and Van Halen fan and that sits right in that wheelhouse, like the, the shuffle, the boogie groove. And it just screams totally. along at a million miles an hour. It's just, yeah. you know, it's beautiful and I don't know. It's hard to go past that one. Crushing Day is another one that it's, you know, yeah. like that. But Satch Boogie's the one that I think that it, it got better over the years, you know, because uh-huh. we talk about yeah. tones. I wasn't a real big fan of Satch's tone on this record. And I still, when you listen to the live records um, that have been subsequent to this, like the Time Machine and um, Live yeah, in San yeah. Francisco and those ones, it's hot. Like he's gotten, he turned me around on The Extremist. I really wanted to listen to his records yeah, on him because yeah, the guitar, yeah. he got the guitar right in just in my opinion it was just a cranked marshall plugged straight in and um and on the self his self-titled record too which is a lot more you know rootsy um so it yeah, is difficult yeah, for me to, yep. to it's a difficult listen at times with the tone that he's got on this record but i also understand that it was for the time you know that's yeah, actually absolutely. one of the other things I wrote down in my first impressions. Very 80s sounding. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I, it, to, to digress and go a little bit away, it's the same thing as big a Nuno fan as I am. Those first two records, yeah. it's the tone is difficult to listen to because they were into those, you know, it was just thin and processed and yeah, no. not really my bag, but, but amazing. No, I don't think anyone could have played yeah. with those tones outside of Satch. Yeah, it, it is interesting. They are pretty bright. And um, touring, he, he used the Boss DS1 for years, which yeah. which sort of makes sense, even if that, that wasn't on the record. Hey, with the album, interesting, his budget was thirteen grand, which for a late 80s record, it was very nothing. <laughs> it was lunch for, you know, yeah. for Elton John. But um, 
But it's a lot for today's the, standards. Uh, <laughs> yes. And for an independent guitar shredder in 87, probably a lot then too. But anyway, the only track with live drums is Satch Boogie. The rest of it's all programmed drums, which um, I think for me it means I, I kind of like some of these tracks on the live albums a bit better as well, just because the, there's more interaction with with the band. And um, by Flying in the Blue Dream, he's obviously got a a live band on there. Stu Ham's playing bass on that record. By The Extremist, he's got the Bissonette Brothers. Man, killer rhythm section. So that's why I love that record as well. As well as, yeah, the tones are perhaps becoming a little more uh, organic maybe. But, um, yeah, my favourite tracks. I've got two I love. I always go back to. It's Echo, which is the last song. That's the 5-4 one at the end. It's the tone oh, on that. Cool track. Yeah, that's a cool song too, actually. I re- that, that was one of my favourite ones too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. I think the tone on that's beautiful. It's so dynamic. Yeah, he backs off. He leans into it. Um, and circles, I love. Um, it's got the really cool open chords on the front, shreds in the middle, back to the open chords, done. Lovely. <laughs> hey, I put a post out on Facebook and uh, Instagram asking people for their favorite Satch tunes. And um, I'm going to do a few shout outs really, really quick. So, and uh, we'll see. Any predictions uh, from you guys? Off, if it's just in general or off this record? Always with me, always with off you. This yeah, always off this record. Yeah, it's going to be off this record. For sure. All right, awesome. So here we go. We'll go, uh, we'll go from some order. Um, Echo. Two people, Rob Balducci. Rob Balducci's on um, Steve Vai's label, by the way. He likes Echo. Steve oh, Kemsley, great drummer friend of mine, introduced me to Odd Time. Uh, he likes the 5-4 song, of course. Hill of the Skull, no <laughs> votes. Although I like it. It sounds like it's from Conan the Barbarian or something. Um, Circle, two votes. Nick Wolf. Um, oh, and uh, Mark McPherson. Lords of Karma, no votes. Although Gabor likes the uh, sitar. Midnight, Joseph Tabua, one vote there. Surfing, two votes. Lee Alexander, Joe Salas. Ice Nine, three votes. James Cole, Jamie Mercer, Simon Raffalo. Um, Raffalo can play Flying in a Blue Dream, by the way. Crushing Day, Joe Salas, Tim Bennett. Now, the, the final two, you guys are right. It's between Always and Satch Boogie. Um, I actually have to count them. Maybe I could have done this before we recorded. Nah, this is, <laughs> nah, this no, is more organic been- this way. Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool, man. All right. Always with you, 10 votes. Nate Stewart, Mick Stewart, no relation. Glenn Kingsley, Adam Roach, Warren Riley, Jem Magdabay, Maddie Hakim, Chris Kamzalis, uh, Trevor Court, Grant Rennie, um, and then Satch Boogie, 11 votes. Uh, the Guitaring oh. Show guys. Uh, shout out to them. Bilgoli Guitars, Cameron Henderson. Oh, I've got to tell you about Cameron Henderson. Uh, Glenn Kingsley, James Cole, Warren Riley, Jem Magdabay, Steve McPherson, Jason King, Stevie Taylor, Gig Life hey, Podcast, Gilay Stevie, and Amen. Joseph Tabua also on that one. So Satch was the winner from my impromptu. People want to dance, um, man. It's all about the dancing, I'm telling you. <laughs> they want to dance. They don't want the 5-4. It's too confusing. <laughs> dance to that. Hey, a few more shout-outs. People who couldn't pick a favourite or just loved every song. We had Rob Greenup, Scotty Burford, Chris Churchwood, Chris Kemzalis, Gavin Moore, Cameron Jones, Brad Carroll and Mel Bolden just said she had great memories of the record. Hey, last thing to wrap up the show. Um, did I tell you guys when I teched for Satriani? No. 
I teched for Satriani probably about wow. 10, 10 years ago. I've, I've seen him three times. So first time was his first tour. Uh, last time I think was his last tour here two years ago or so in Canberra. Um, about 10 years ago I teched for Canberra um, on the Thump Music uh, clinic tour. So he's out doing clinic tours for Thump, Thump Music Australia. And a friend of mine, Daniel Singh, put the shout out. Does anyone want to work on this show tonight? I'm like, yeah, man. So I get in there. That's where I meet Cameron Henderson, who's a killer guitar player. Um, so shout out to Cameron. And um, I got to be Joe's Sharpie technician during the meet and greet signing uh, stage. <laughs> Sharpie technician, I like that. Yeah. There was this lineup of like a million people and you had to be good because people would come. Uh, yeah, I had a handful of Sharpies, different colours, and if someone had like their Chrome Dome Satriani guitar, well, you need like a black Sharpie on that. But if someone had brought, um, I don't know, the Satriani uh, pedal, the red, the saturator, the Vox pedal, well, you need a black yeah. Sharpie for that. So I was working that, and me and all my friends that I'd met that night, we were so starstruck, we took turns being the Sharpie technician. Um, <laughs> wow. I have a very similar story to that, Matt. Come on, man. I worked at Allen's in Pitt Street for a little while and um, in the admin team, and, uh, yeah, he did an in-store, and I somehow got out of my admin role and ended up as a security guard. And, nice. and I ended up being Joe's like private security for the day. And oh, wow. I didn't do the Sharpie, but I did all the fan photos. So if someone wanted a photo, I had them get their phone or their camera ready, their Hanamex or their whatever else they had back then. <laughs> yes. And um, yes. terrible Motorola flip phones or whatever. And I would go, right, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to take the photo. I'm going to hand you your phone and then you're out of here. You know, if you've got something to sign, we'll do that as well. And then... Yeah, yeah. Amazingly, thanks to Andre, um, I then got out of the, my work for the rest of the day, got to hang up upstairs while he signed all of the uh, Ibanez's he was doing for, um, oh, awesome. for Allen's at the time. So he had all the JS yeah, yeah. lined out and basically got to, got to talk to him for about I don't know, 20 minutes. And, wow, man, and you'll never guess what question. Of, I, didn't, I really only asked him one question. And it was about strings. <laughs> like, how nerdy is that? I, because I just wanted to know if what I worked out over the years of playing nowhere near his standard, that if I was right about strings, and um, he was a Diodario endorsee, he always has been. And um, yep. we basically had the same kind of stories about Diodario that we've gone off and tried other things and then always come back to Diodario's and he's obviously tested him a lot more than I have, but um, maybe recently I've tested him more. I'm not sure, but, um, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a great day and I got my live in San Francisco DVD signed and uh, awesome. it was a great day. That one. So yeah, we got that in common. Matt. Nice. There you go. There you go. I, I, I saw him in a hallway once. Whoa. Still good. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. That's it. That's my story. <laughs> just as valid, man. Just as valid. <laughs> you are but the black sheep. Out, but, but, but I was hanging out with Steve Vai at the time. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Fellas, thanks for joining us. It's, uh, it's been a fun night. Joe Satriani surfing with the Alien. Iconic album number one. Beautiful. Thank you. 
And I get one song wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> Come back next week. All right, there you go. Iconic albums number one. Now, listen, if we missed something that you think is super important about surfing or any other comments you want to make about the record, shoot me a line uh, through email or Facebook or Instagram. And it'd be nice to make mention of that in a future episode. My great thanks to Rob and Gabor for joining me. Thanks to everyone who joined in on the, the Facebook conversation that we spoke about earlier. And also, this show has been brought to you by Reverb's The Pedal Movie, out now, and Fretboard Biology, the online guitar course. Check out the links in our show notes. All right, my name is Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And as Michael Schenker once told me, keep on rocking. See you next time. <laughs>